Hello, everybody, once again, and welcome back to the podcast. It's 3 a.m., and this is important. I'm Matt, and with me, as always, is Jesse. Hello, hello. Today we have a very special episode, one we're both very excited about, and one that Jesse has been doing a bunch of research on recently. Uh, What are we going to be talking about, Jesse? Today we're going to be covering visual novels. Good old-fashioned visual novels, and we're talking about the video games. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So before we really get into things, I need to make a quick shout-out, because I think, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. Of course. Shout out to the medium user Rio Mac, who provided some great insight for me on the cultural differences that factored into VN's popularity in Japan. Thank you, Rio Mac. We really appreciate your due diligence and work that you put in that we can now exploit for our own reasons. Yeah. So we appreciate you. Thanks for being the only guy with information on the internet in English and not Japanese. Yeah. Coming from two Canadian dudes who are monoglots who do not speak Japanese. All right. So how do you want to start this thing, man? All right. So I think, yeah, let's tell the people what a visual novel actually is. Yes. What is a visual novel? All right. So a visual novel, or VN for short, is an interactive fiction video game genre. Um, It most commonly uses the anime art style, which you're probably familiar with. Um, So this type originated in and is most popular in Japan, but it's increasingly gaining popularity in North America and just across the globe in general. Which I'm sure we've all noticed. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it more on like Steam and like even the Nintendo store for like my Switch and stuff has a bunch more now. Yeah, Yeah. they do release a lot of visual novels on the Switch is what I've noticed. And also I see a lot of Let's Players that do full visual novel playthroughs or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, which I guess makes sense. Nintendo's a Japanese company, right? Yep. Yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, they are. So some of these games are just digital novels with illustrations. Some tell the same story from multiple characters' points of view, and others are more like a digital pick-your-own-adventure book. Right. At their core, though, all visual novels have a clear and often complex story to tell, just like regular books do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So that's kind of the... Kind of the definition. Yeah, their category, whatever you want to call it, would definitely imply that you're going to be getting into a story. Yeah. Visual novel, you know? Yeah. But I I do think, like, it's a bit confusing for, like, us in the West over here because, yeah, even though it says visual novel in the title or, like, kind of the category of game, you are looking for games. And since there's nothing really comparable out there, it might be a little misleading for some people. Yeah, and also when I've mentioned this episode specifically to people who have asked, like, what episodes we're doing, I've said, like, visual novels, and they always, almost always say, like, oh, you mean, like, manga and stuff. And I kind of have to correct them and say, like, no, they're, like, uh, these games that you play through called visual novels. So I think there is a bit of a disconnect there in the West, for sure. Yeah, I would agree. All right, so I think the easiest way to dive into VNs is their origin. Sure. So let's start there. Um, The first visual novel was a game called Portopia Serial Murder Case, released in 1983. Ooh, sounds mysterious. Yeah. It featured nonlinear elements, a first-person perspective, and the gameplay primarily involved solving puzzles in order to progress the story. Okay. It had multiple red herrings and even a plot twist at the end that kind of helped bring it into popularity. Sure. Kind of made it this experience. Yeah. Yeah, there was nothing really else like it out there, and it really took over Japan. I think it sold 700,000 copies. Oh, wow. Like, pretty quickly after its release, yeah. I mean, I get it, you know? I mean, it's imagine what it would take to, like, get to that thought process of creating something like that. Like, I guess it's like that with everything, but someone had to have had the idea to make it make this specific thing in the way that he did or they did or well there was sort of so the creator actually took inspiration from a few american pc games okay that weren't quite visual novels but he definitely kind of relied heavily on like on kind of that american pc aspect sure i think there was a few like murder mystery type pc games back in the the early 80s that he referenced yeah yeah but nothing quite to this extent. No, definitely, definitely not. And not, like, to the quality of kind of what he produced. Sure, okay. Because um, this thing was, like, I haven't played it, but from all the research I've done on it, it seems like it was a slam freaking dunk. Yeah. Yeah, quality. Now, this like. this first visual novel, would you say that, like, that was the main inspiration for all visual novels to come? Like, the progenitor, basically? Yes, yeah. So we'll cover it a little bit later, but this one had a lot of, like, puzzle solving, like I kind of mentioned earlier in it. Right, yeah. 
that hasn't necessarily translated as much, especially with modern games. Um, but we'll get into it. We'll get yeah. into it. Yeah. Obviously, things change and evolve and branch out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So in the late 80s and 90s, VNs were mostly simple games in the anime art style where the player would explore new locations and talk to other characters to progress the story. Right. Which kind of is different. I, sh- I should mention that Protopia Serial Murder Case was not in the anime style. Oh, really? Yeah, back in the back in the early 80s, um, computers just weren't at a place where they could have any sort of graphics like that. So it was so very rudimentary. Like pixelated kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like it did have some images, but it just wouldn't have been able to do justice to the anime style. Right, okay. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But quickly after that, I think computers, yeah, got a little bit better and they were able to do that. And that kind of naturally carried on for the vast majority of VNs from sure. there on out. Cool. All right. Most of these early VNs were expansions on already popular animes like Fantasy Star Adventure and Mason Okoku. Okay. Um, so the vast majority of VNs are made for PC, though only the most popular among them ported over to consoles. Right. Console sales other than Nintendo in Japan are just typically like much, much less in general than sure. here in North America. Until more recently. Yeah, obviously. until probably more recently, yeah. With like the Wii and the Switch and... Well, other than Nintendo. So like your PlayStation. Right. PlayStations are more popular, but Xboxes especially are just like not really popular at all in uh, in Japan. That's fair. So I I just want to quickly kind of touch on the popularity so you guys can like kind of get an idea of how big slash not big these are in Japan. Okay. It was a little hard to find information on this kind of thing because a lot of the information out there is just in Japan. And yeah. again, I don't speak Japanese. I can't read it. So my understanding is that 700,000, which Portopia kind of sold 700,000 units, that's kind of considered the gold standard. Your most popular games are somewhere around there in a million in, yeah. in actual sales. And at the time, like the 80s, that was like monumental for a video game. Absolutely. Yeah, it was just humongous. Like it really did kind of sweep the country a little bit Yeah, as far as like the gamer community goes. Sure. There was kind of a slow and steady increase until about 2006. Okay. And this next little bit of information I pulled off of Wikipedia, and it was one of the only things that didn't have a source. So take it with a grain of salt, but it said that VNs accounted for 60% of all PC sales in 2006. Wow. Yes. If that's even true, like that's amazing. If that's true. It it sounds like that's pretty accurate from everything else I kind of looked at, but again, I couldn't find any hard numbers. Right. And then from there until from 2006 until about two years ago, the numbers were kind of dwindling and now we're back on an upswing again. Okay. As far as VNs in North America goes, though, I did get some harder numbers as far as how many games were translated and then released. Okay. So from the year 2000, there was less than 10 games that were released in English. Okay. Now, though, in 2020, we're at just under 200 games a year. That are being wow. translated. Okay. Yeah. So as far as the Western side goes, we're just yeah, a very really, steady curve upward. They've really been making their way over here. Yeah. And I guess I have noticed that based on the Let's Players that I do watch that are all Western-based Let's Players that have been playing visual novels more and more often. Yeah. Now, the one that I do watch, Game Grumps, one of their hosts, Aaron, is very obsessed with Japanese culture and everything. So it would make sense for him to kind of pick up on these before most others. But I definitely have noticed more popularity in the Western cultures. Yeah, me as well. Just just kind of in the game stores and things like that. Like, I think I remember in like junior high, I maybe stumbled upon one or two. Yeah. And then, yeah, now it's just. And now they're on like the popular downloads on Steam and stuff. Like yeah. you'll find visual novels on that list. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. It's, it's a huge amount of growth for us Westerners, for sure. All right, so now let's talk about gameplay a little bit. Like, let's kind of get into kind of the nuts and bolts of, of visual novels here. Okay, kind of how they work and what to expect if you were to ever play one? Yes. Cool. Yeah. All right, so kind of as I touched on a little bit with Portopia Serial Murder Case, a lot of VNs feature puzzle solving in the beginning. Sure. That was kind of the main kind of bit of gameplay. Right. Now, however, this is a lot less common and the majority of modern VNs don't have any sort of gameplay. Just They're just making text decisions to move the story forward for the most part. Right. So you're really just clicking that mouse, clicking that mouse, clicking that mouse. Yeah. And like maybe occasionally on some games, you'll have different like options for text for replies and stuff like that. Sure. Lots of reading though. 
Yeah. These things are novels. Yeah. Like they're the more popular ones, especially like there are some shorter VNs, but like they are quite a time commitment. Like we're talking 40 hours plus on some of these. And something that I've kind of as a personal sort of interpretation is that it's sort of a design to immerse you in the story rather than just read the story. I think that's kind of the idea. Yeah. Place you in the protagonist's shoes and then you live out this novel as the main character. Yeah. So it's super common for the protagonist to not have any parts, just like you said, to help you kind of immerse. So you are the protagonist. You don't really get any speaking lines. And when you have the option... It's literally just like the gist of what your reply would be. And then it's back to their side of the story. Yeah. So there's two main reasons for that that I found. So number one is the immersion. Yeah. Then number two is a lot of these books are voice acted. So each character has a voice actor for them. Right. And when we're talking about just sheer lines for the voice actors to do, if you were to give the protagonist lines, that would just be way too much budget wise for somebody to have to do. Sure. Um, so just to touch on like length a little bit, this is kind of an extreme example, but when you factor in all the branching timelines and add them all up for the Steinsgate English translation, yeah. it has 80% more words in it than the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy combined. That's insane. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's wild. So you can imagine like voice acting budgets for a lot of these games. Like, are, and if you see, you've seen the scripts, like the size of the scripts for like the Lord of the Rings movies right well not the scripts i mean i've read the trilogy a bunch of times but. yeah but like if you look at even the scripts they're like you kill like half a tree yeah. for like the amount of paper that's in those scripts yeah it's an it's an impressive amount for sure yeah now i know that probably sounds pretty boring for most of you guys out there just kind of clicking and sort of reading a novel digitally sure but a lot of the time modern vns have multiple characters to play as the main protagonist sure. so that when you're going through a story you can kind of have every single character's perspective if you want to go back and do that okay which is very interesting just yeah. being able to have all those perspectives, like that's not something you get out of reading a normal book or anything. No, certainly not. Yeah. They also have non-linear storylines. Right. So everything kind of jumps out. And again, whichever character, like there's so many different routes you can take on a typical VN these days. Right. That it's got just a ton of replayability. Yeah. So they have non-linear storylines and multiple endings for replayability. And one thing about the multiple endings is there's something called, in a lot of them, there's something called true endings. Yes. Yeah, which is considered like the best ending. Or if it's based off of like a manga or an anime show. Then it's like the canon ending. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because, yeah, a lot of visual novels that I've seen definitely have the true endings. They have good endings, bad endings, secret endings, that kind of stuff. Some that like like end way sooner than like... Yeah, you can, there, are, there are some visual novels out there. You can you can end the game within like three lines of text. It's yeah, insane. <laughs> just like those choose your own like novels or choose yeah. your own adventure novels. Like, have you ever done that? Where like right away you make yeah. the first wrong decision. Take a and, left. You're dead. Yeah. Shit. What the fuck happened? And you're <laughs> frantically flipping yeah. the pages back. Like, no, I didn't do this. I didn't mean it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. I mean. Yeah. Okay, so another thing that kind of sets VNs apart is the sound mixing and editing on these things. Sure. Um, they're they're really good. It just kind of helps you immerse, and a lot of time is spent when making them. Yeah, because it's just like another another sense to kind of get you into it. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, so that and that's especially prevalent in like horror games, which we'll kind of touch on just a little bit. Yeah. further in the episode. But I just want to do a quick sidebar, sort of a little bit about that. I'm a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, he's a Canadian journalist. He has a wonderful podcast called Revisionist History. Um, and in his latest season, he kind of talked about to the listeners that he really wants to step audiobooks up. And that's what he did with his latest release. I'm kind of plugging him a little bit, but that's yeah. okay. And his idea was, yeah, exactly that. So he wants he wanted to do an audiobook and he has done an audiobook where they have sound effects or they the the whole like thing. Like music has, and sound effects. Yeah, it's all got like a score. Kind of like a film soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. Just like a more immersive thing. Yeah. And at the time, I thought that was a really great idea. But then I was researching VNs and like, essentially, that's what they are, but with visuals on top of that. Like, Yeah. And a lot of them do have like custom music and sound effects and different things that definitely do immerse you in them a bit more. Yeah. I don't know that for whatever reason, that just really helped me like kind of cement probably a really good reason about why these are so popular. Yeah. 
Is there just a more immersive, super cool novel? Yeah. And I think when it comes right down to it, they're a very unique medium of entertainment as well. You get this very long, drawn out, very high quality experience for the most part, since now there's like a ton of weird fringe, awfully made visual novels too. But for the most part, the big studios, they'll make these really beautiful, long experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. All right, so now I figured we'd kind of talk about genres. Sure. Because I discovered very quickly that there's about 50 different freaking genres. There's a genre for everything in visual novels yeah. for some reason. So we're going to go over kind of like the top nine or 10 most popular. And Yeah, uh, that's probably fair because I feel like a lot of the genres that you found were probably subgenres of these genres. And they could probably be argued that a lot of them fit in these genres. Yeah, yeah. And that's another thing. It seems like every game, yeah, fits into like three different genres. And yeah. they're... So you really just got to pick its main, most overarching genre that it fits in. Yeah, exactly. Um, So there are two main categories of VN. NVLs, which are almost exclusively narration. Right. So when you think about a visual novel, that's kind of the classic. You're just clicking along to get the text going. Okay. And then there are things called AVGs or adventure games. Right. These are still visual novels, but they incorporate like a little bit of gameplay into the game. Okay. To like mix things up. So like some games will have quick time events. Some of them will have puzzle solving, like we kind of mentioned. And just like just very minor, minor things to do. Like like, yeah, like something I've noticed in a lot of uh, visual novels that do incorporate gameplay, like some examples I can think of are like Danganronpa or Honey Pop. Honey Pop has basically Candy Crush built into the game. Yeah. And Danganronpa has like a bunch of simple, really rudimentary games built into like the mechanics where like you play Hangman or you do some other stupid shit yeah. to like solve a puzzle or to do something else. So yeah, yeah that, that kind of gameplay is definitely something I've seen before. What's that game that we started playing? That's Danganronpa. Oh, is that Danganronpa? Yeah, it's the second one, the sequel to the first one. Right. Okay. Yeah. So like the fact that we can move our player character around, yeah, that itself would like kind of qualify as an AVG. Right, because you're adventuring around this map. Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah, just anything that's not clicking. Yeah. yeah. Which as like a Westerner, I feel like I would like the AVG side a lot more than the, just like the really strict NVL type. Yeah, and know? personally, I feel like both have their place. Like I do enjoy just reading things and just with us getting into the research of this, I have played a few uh, visual novels just to like get into the headspace of like what they're like and everything. And I do enjoy both styles. And I didn't even think I would really like playing visual novels in general because I don't really like most genres of games or whatever, but I also like games that are what I define as games. Yeah. Where you like moving characters around and fighting things and doing whatever. But yeah, I've noticed that the one style, uh, the non-adventure style, what was that called again? They're called NVLs. So yeah, NVLs. I like that I don't have to stress about moving around or figuring anything out. You're kind of just doing it for the experience, kind of like watching a movie, reading a book, whatever. You're just there for it. And then the adventure ones, I like the fact that you have some control over the situation and figuring things out and solving situations and puzzles and stuff. I do enjoy that too. And I think the ones that I've played are really well made and they're well put together and I see the appeal of them for sure. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad at least like one of us has at least a little bit of experience in this this field for sure. And I have seen lots of them played by other people as well. I do think it's worth noting that there are now like some Western games are kind of incorporating the whole mostly AVG side of adventure games. Right. Probably the best example that I can think of right now is the Walking Dead video game. Oh, yeah, like the Telltale Game series. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah, Yeah. Telltale Games. Telltale Gaming pulls so much from VNs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all mostly like decision-making, right? I actually haven't played any. And those are phenomenal games, too. Like, I've played The Walking Dead Season 1 and 2 from Telltale. I've also played a couple of other Telltale games. But they have a lot, and people love them. Like, yeah. they're really well made. Yeah, I watched uh, I watched a trailer for one of the Walking Dead ones, and yeah. it looked not quite anime-y, but it definitely looked, like, cartoony. Yeah, it's very animation style, but they're unique animation styles, too. Like, every Telltale game seems to have their own animation style. Okay. So The Walking Dead has, like, a set of uh, animators and artists that they, that they use that have their own unique styles, which I think is a cool way to do it. Because yeah. branching out from the anime style, I think, is better for Westerners just because even though anime has been getting more popular in the Western market, for the general public, it's probably better to have different art styles to help get people into other things, right? 
yeah, kind of soothe the palate a little bit. And yeah. we'll, we'll touch on that at the end of the episode, just just a touch. But. Sure. So for, as far as like specific genres go, and I'm going to butcher every single name. Sure. So I apologize in advance. Having not ever spoken Japanese before. Yeah. Uh, so the first one is called Sharage or Character Game. Sharige or whatever. Yeah. Sharage, Sharige, Charige, Charage, whatever. Sure. So those are in English, kind of the most direct translation would be Character Game. Right. And those are just visual novels that define, like, it's a game focused on character interaction, but not necessarily an overarching plot. Right. Like, the story is driven by its character interactions. Yeah. It's really supposed to help you, like, invest in the character. These are games where, like, they're kind of sort of trying to draw the emotion out and just get you, like, intimately familiar with the protagonist. Right. A totally speculative take on why this genre would exist in my mind is not to disparage people that play this type of game, but to give that feeling of human interaction and like to have people to talk to just to satisfy that part of our social contracts and our social environment. Yeah, I kind of equate it to Sims. Sure. You know, like just like these second life games. Yeah, yeah, totally. I I, I, de- I definitely think you're onto something there. Where you like satisfy that part of yourself that craves human interaction, but maybe you're not getting enough in real life, which honestly, I think a lot of us go through. So I totally find seeking an outlet like this is totally valid in my opinion. Yeah, me as well. No judgment here. Yeah. Whatever game you like to play, you like to play. Probably the best example I can give is the Fate series of VNs. Right. As far as kind of the the Shirage umbrella, that's probably one that encapsulates it. And I, I would say the Fate series, honestly, aside from like maybe your most popular animes over here, like Naruto and like One Piece and stuff like that, yeah. like the Fate series is up there. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're from North America and you're into anime at all, chances are you know about Fate, the Fate sure. series. So those VNs are a great example of Shirage. All right, so next up, and this one I'm definitely most interested in, I think, and it's the one I'm probably most familiar with. Sure. Is Erogue, Erogue, or Erogue? Ero- erotic games. Erotic games. Here we yeah. go, the good and stuff. And I think there is a misconception about this type of game that they're all kind of within this genre. It seems like a stigma to me that if you mention this type of game that has like the anime style and you're like reading a bunch of text, it's automatically like, oh, is it hentai? And even the erotic style doesn't fall in the hentai category, right? No. So I'm, I'm pretty glad you brought that up because I can't speak on the stigma for us Westerners, but I do know know from my research that erage is the most popular form in Japan. Oh, yeah. And so there is actually some stigma there with VNs. Sure, like it's hard to lump them all together and not mention the fact that most of them are, or the more popular ones are erotic. Yeah, that seems to be the base assumption over there from everything that I found out. Okay, and I've found the base assumption to be kind of similar here, just from my personal experience. Well, for me, like we kind of brought up seeing these games on Steam, like VNs on Steam and stuff like that. Yeah. And they always kind of have just their splash art or like their cover art. Yeah. I feel like the vast majority that I've seen are anime chicks with huge tits. Yeah. And I've noticed that too. Like it just seems to be such a consistent thing where I'm like, oh, these all Oh, look absolutely. And that really... definitely gives you the uh, impression that a lot of these games are just that or most of these games are yeah. just that. And that would be doing an injustice for sure. Yeah, and I I definitely had the same opinion too before I started seeing people get into them and before I started getting more exposed to the entire genre and the entire medium of art that it is. I think it's fair to say that every type of medium that we have has an overarching erotic theme in them. Yeah, I mean... A lot of what we watch today on TV, movies, books, any kind of mediums like magazines, anything like that, sex sells. So yeah. a lot of it is sexually inclined. I mean, how much sex is in and nudity is in Game of Thrones? Just yeah, exactly. Just like as an easy example for sure. And like sure. so much of our Western media would probably be categorized in some cultures as erotic. Yeah. So I think it's probably the same kind of disconnect. That's a really good point, actually, because let me get in the definition a little bit. Okay. So what defines Arrogate? So it is short term for erotic game. And the umbrella of it, it's a game with any amount of erotic content. So that that kind of okay. means like nudity. So if there's even just one tiny little nip slip, right? boom, automatically Arrogate. That's, that's an erotic game. That's an erotic game. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know why they do that. Maybe there's like some sort of ratings thing there. Maybe like all Arrogates are like 18 up or like... yeah. I mean, fair enough. I mean, censorship laws are completely different in Japan too, right? Yeah, so. I'm, I'm not sure. That's just kind of my armchair theory on that one. But yeah, so it is 
I'm I'm really glad you mentioned that because yeah, it is extremely broad to be put in the category. Yeah. Here. And like I said, a lot of what we watch, even like things that are meant for teenagers or kids, they have some form of sexual element. Yeah. Which is like if we had the same standards for everything else we watch or consume, then a lot of things would fit in the erotic category, I feel like. Absolutely, yeah. So anything from like a nip slip to kind of the most sexual that you could get is maybe like consensual sex in the missionary position or something right, where it's or like, not like really showing full penetration or anything. Like maybe like the, the the equivalent of panning the camera up during a sex scene in like Grey's Anatomy yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like I, implied, I would so. Implied sex scenes without the sex scenes kind of thing. Yeah, so a great example of era gay would be nightlife. Nightlife. Yeah. And I technically lied to you earlier when I said Portopia serial murder case um, was the first one, but I just didn't really like feel good about you starting off with Irrigate. So technically the first VN, even though I don't know, it doesn't really count to me, but whatever, is a game called Nightlife. And it was in 1982. So a year okay. before yeah. Portopia. And it essentially is like a Kama Sutra game. Like okay. it just, it was like really pixely, shitty images <laughs> yeah. of sexual positions that you're supposed to try I'm out. I'm sure in 1982 partner. was like, damn, okay. Yeah. <laughs> These pixels are getting racy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, literally, it literally just looks like an old timey Kama Sutra, but yeah. it also featured a period tracker on it. Oh, really? So like just as a feature? As a feature. So you could track your girlfriend's period, I guess, if you're uh, really okay. wanting to do that. <laughs> okay. Pretty cringy if you ask me. I, I hate I it, but sure. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> hey, man, it was 1982. That might have been like penultimate technology there. I have no yeah. idea. It's like, wow, we can do this. I don't, I don't want to ever do that. <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't care. It's your life, your body. It's their business. Anyway. I don't know. Seems like strange, you don't but need interesting. To also, what I have of? to say about that is knowing humanity, it just makes sense that the first VN would probably be some kind of sexual thing. Because the first thing we do with anything is like, how do we sexualize that? Yeah. You know, so it just makes sense to me. Okay. Well, now let's do a bit of a more sultry vibe. A little, mm -hmm. bit of a, little bit of a dirtier genre here. Mm -hmm. It's called Nuki Gay. Nuki Gay. Nuki Gay or Masturbation Game. Right. And these games are straight up porn. Now, this is what I feel like a lot of people think that visual novels are. Yeah. Like when it comes right down to it, I think I've noticed that some people do react as though you're talking about porn. Yeah. Which is totally unfair. I will say that much. But also, there are direct porn games that I can totally imagine in my head that I've seen before. So it's definitely a genre and it definitely exists and it's yeah. definitely prevalent. And these these games rarely, if ever, have any sort of plot line. Sure. And it's literally just like sex scene to sex scene to sex scene. Like yeah. it's, it is just porn. Yeah. Just straight up porn. But apparently it's like decently popular. Like it's a decently popular way to well, get of course. your pornos. I in. mean, if you think about the entire experience. Now here, I'm going to defend it. Okay, please. As like a medium. Because I think it's a great way to consume porn. Not that I personally do it myself and not that there's anything wrong with doing it. It's just not my thing. But I totally understand it. Because when you play like a dramatic version of one of these games, you're fully immersed in it. You feel like you're a part of it. You take on this role of being in this world and experiencing what the protagonist is experiencing. So wouldn't the best version of that in a lot of our minds would be like virtual reality porn? But since we don't have that yet, really, wouldn't the next best thing be really being immersed in the porn that you're consuming? Because you get to be a part of it. You're not just yeah. looking at it and watching other people enjoy themselves. You get to enjoy yourself with the characters in the game. So I get it. You know, you're yeah. you're a part of this experience. You're immersed. You probably get more out of it, maybe slightly emotional, maybe slightly more. I don't know. It must activate more in your brain. And just like I was saying before. I think when it comes to human interaction, I think it can probably also satisfy a little bit of that, that part of yourself that needs sexual gratification or sexual intimacy or anything like that. Like it can probably give that to you if you don't have that in your life at the moment. Sure. So it can probably partially satisfy that part of yourself. So I think in that way that the medium itself feels like a superior way to Western pornography, in my opinion. Maybe. I, I do want to add to that just really slightly is I kind of got thinking about kinks. I mean, this is this is all oh, drawn sure. art or like animated art. So I guess with like a Nuki Gay, you could have any freaking kink you want. There's probably a Nuki Gay out there. You want yeah. to 
bone 20 women or if you're into the tentacle thing or something. Like, or if you're a furry. I know that like yeah. a lot of furries do use art mediums to like kind of satisfy that section of themselves. So sure. Yeah. So whatever you're into, there's probably a nuki gay out there for and you. And you can probably commission somebody to do it for you if there isn't, right? Like sure. it's, it's that kind of medium that like can be customized and created. Yeah. And I didn't look it up, but now I'm kind of curious if there's like <laughs> voice acting for these. I'm sure there is. There's voice acting for hentai. Oh, I guess. Yeah. There's like that whole genre yeah. of porn that's just hentai and it's voice acted. Fair enough. So. I hope they make a lot of money. I'm sure they do. Hope they, uh, hope they get paid. Sex sells, man. Sex sells. Yeah. I don't have the numbers for Nuki Gay, but I mean, if Era Gay is, if yeah. it's like the most popular genre, I can't imagine Nuki Gay being like too far behind. Yeah, especially with how popular porn is in general. Yeah. So I imagine that it has some pretty astronomical numbers that nobody knows about. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> What's next? All right, so next we have Fan Disc or FD, and this is like essentially just fan service games. Right. Um, so what they are usually is an expansion on an already existing series that's meant to, quotations, fan service okay. for the players who want to see more of a series, characters, or setting. Right, but these are professionally made, right? Yeah, these are professionally made by studios. Not necessarily the same studio that like made whatever game is being kind of fan serviced. Right, but they are professionally but, made. Yes, they are professionally made. They're not really sequels like it's not like they're really a direct sequel it's just expanding on the world that was kind of made it's keeping the same characters at whatever game they're kind of building off of right just trying to give them fans more of what they loved in the main game cool after that we have dojinshi which are just self-published fan-made games like amateur fan-made games yeah these are these are yeah just amateurs these are games that like maybe one or two people have worked on to create sure and they're just the fanfic i guess of vn's Okay. Yeah, super simple, super easy, Dojinshi. Cool. After that, we have Nakigay. Nakigay. Yeah, Nakigay. Probably Nakigay. It's usually like a like a hard G. Yeah, okay. I've noticed. So Naki game or crying games. Crying games. Yeah, which I thought was just fucking wild. I had no idea this was a thing. Yeah. So they're a game with the purpose of making the player cry. Yeah. Just like a sad song or a sad movie. Yeah. I mean, we have movies that make you cry, and that's their purpose, you know? We have music that makes you cry, and that's their purpose. So why wouldn't another medium of entertainment or art have that category, right? I suppose so. Personally, for me, I never really go into a book with the intention of being sad as fuck, but I guess it does. Sometimes I get there. I mean, sometimes I do. Why do you think I've seen uh, The Place Beyond the Pine so many times? Sometimes I just want to be sad. So (laughs) sad. (laughs) Such a good movie, but also... Doesn't have a happy ending. No. It's not a happy time. No. None of it is fun. It's just sad, sad, and sad. And I love it. All right. So movie example for (laughs) Nakike, Place Beyond the Pines. And then I've got an example for our next category. Yeah. But I do want to touch on a few more things for Nakike. Sure. All right. So Nakike Game's defining feature is it's lighthearted, it's comedic, and it's heartwarming first half to get the player attached to the characters. Oh, sure. You got to be invested for it to hurt. The whole first half is always great. And yeah, exactly. It's just trying to get you invested into the characters. Yeah. And then it shifts the plot to more tragic scenarios. And tear it all away. Yeah. But one of the defining kind of features of Naki Gay, even though they're sad, even though you're going to cry, maybe if, if you play them, they have a happy ending. Okay. Everything works out in the end. Yes. And they lived happily ever after. That's good. <laughs> Little callback, episode one. All right. Dude, sick reference, man. Your references are off the charts, man. All right. <laughs> we had an example for that, didn't we? Like, like is that... Clanod? Clanid? Clanid? Clanid. Fuck. You, how many times? You must have told me like 20 times before Keep we Keep telling you, man. You got to pronounce it right. People love that game. Yeah, Clanid. Clanid is the best example. Yeah, it's like the first definition defined Naki Gay game that comes up on most, yeah. most yeah. lists. And it was honestly probably the, other than maybe like Steins Gate and the Fate series, probably the third most referenced or like brought up VN that is I a, found. When it I is a very beloved VN from what I know. Yeah. To the point where, like, I might actually, I might actually play it. Yeah, I actually own it. Yeah, yeah. If you ever want to play it. Oh fuck yeah, I will. Yeah. Um, I do want to do Steins Gate first. Yeah. So I am gonna commit to Steins Gate because I love the anime. I'm um, seeing like five weeks. Yeah. <laughs> That's just gonna take you forever. Eighty percent more than the Lord of the Rings series. Holy shit! <laughs> All right. It's worth it though. It's worth it. I it's bet. gonna be worth it. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. So after that, we have Utsugi. 
Utsugi. Which is direct. Is that the sad sad? Yeah, that's the depressing game. That's the big sad. Yeah, that's the big sad. So yeah, just like Nakige, the purpose is to make you sad or depressed. Mm -hmm. But the defining difference is that these do not have a happy ending. They just have a sad ending. They just have a sad fucking ending. Great. Just a horribly sad ending. Are you sad? Good. You said you had like a movie reference for this? Yeah, I have a movie reference for, for Utsugi. What's a, what's a film Utsugi? A film Utsugi, a great example, I think, would be Requiem for a Dream. Oh, yeah, that is an Utsugi. A game that just wrecked me for movie. like a week after I watched it. Dude, just, that, that movie sucks. Oh, it's my so, God. It's so heartbreaking and it just leaves you broken. Yeah, I watched it the first time I watched it. Or no, maybe the second time I watched it. But it had been long enough where I kind of forgot all about the first time I watched it. Right. It was at like two in the morning while I was just putting off studying. No. And I thought it would be better than studying. You thought and it would be fine? I would have I would have rather written like six fucking midterms in one day than oh. do what I did that day. Like, oh my God. That movie hurts. Yeah. Like it just sucks. It's so sad. And it never gets better. It never gets better. It's really well uh, done. It is. You know? It's phenomenal. But, it's a beautiful movie and it has like that great soundtrack and everything sucks. Yeah. It's so if you want to have a horrible day, watch that movie or play an Utsugi. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, you get the same results. Utsugi. Be sad. Stay sad. <laughs> that's, the, that's the tagline for it. <laughs> be sad. Stay sad. Utsugi. This podcast is brought to you in part by Utsugi. Be sad, stay sad. <laughs> All right, what's what's up next? What's our? We got a couple more genres, right? Uh, we got like two and a half. Okay. So the next one is Atome. Atome. Yeah, and that one's translation is made in game. Oh yeah, okay. So yeah. you you play as a female mainly, and like it's female yeah mainly. Based. You don't necessarily always have to, but these are essentially games that are just marketed towards women. Okay, um, but yeah, the vast majority of them you are playing as kind of a sure. female protagonist. By the way, which I love. Yeah, that's like your thing in video games. Yeah, I play as a girl in every video game that I can. Yeah, why is that? Why I don't do you, know. Why do you do that? I I think there's a part of me that identifies with females a bit more than males. Interesting. I just I like women more. Uh, I feel safer as a woman in video games. I don't know yeah. why. I mean, I, I grew up with female friends primarily. I didn't mm. have a lot of male friends growing up. Um, I didn't make a lot of male connections. So I think a large part of me just finds safety in like the female yeah. gender and everything. So I just like being a female. I like seeing females kick ass. One main thing about playing as a female is when you play these interesting stories, it's not really about being a woman. It's just about being awesome or conquering things or doing anything. And that being the message, instead of just focusing on the fact that you're a woman, but you're also just a woman that's kicking ass and doing great things. Sure. I think that's a great message. And I also yeah. just really appreciate that. Yeah. Being badass isn't exclusive to one gender. For no, sure. For absolutely sure. not. Yeah. And I think normalizing that is a big part of why I play as female characters as well. Cool. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> Today I learned. Wow. All right. So after we have Otome, we have the horror genre. And I did mention a little bit, but this is like the main genre where kind of the sound mixing and like the sound effects like oh, really sure. comes into play. Yeah. You got to have a really immersive experience, experience, right? Yeah. To like be fully scared of anything. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Like, and the one example I have written down here is the game called The Letter. Right. And when that's I, a very popular horror VM yeah. for sure. Yeah, when I looked it up, I looked this one up on Reddit because shout out to Reddit by the way. They have like an insanely active VN subreddit. Very cool. There's like three hundred thousand of them. It's it's crazy how often they're posting and stuff like that. Yeah, that's awesome. So I saw I found the letter on there that people seem to really like, and people were like, people were saying that like this game like left them in shreds. <laughs> Damn. People were saying they couldn't finish it. Yeah. Like it was just, it was just nuts. Like That's that. interesting. So that yeah. makes me want to play it for sure. You should. Yeah. You're kind of a spooky game kind yeah, of guy I love sometimes, games. right? Yeah. All right. So here's the point five. I said we had 2.5 left two ago. Now we're at the point five. Is point five dating sims? Yeah. Okay. So before we move on to the rest of the podcast, I wanted to quickly touch on dating sims. I know that you and I were both under the assumption that dating simulations were VNs. And although right. there are a lot of similarities, this simply isn't the case. Well, I know of a lot of dating sim VNs, though. But they're not technically. Well, what makes them not VNs? All right, well, I'm going to get into that. Right? Yeah, come on. Hurry Freaking up. Now, man. Tell me. Tell me now. All right, so the key distinction. Know. You going to let me explain? No. Please let me explain. No. Fine, go for it. Okay. 
<laughs> uh, the key distinction between the two is that dating sim games are more stats-based and often lack the narrative of VNs. Sure. The goal in dating sims is to land the girl or guy, but the quality of the storytelling just isn't up to snuff. It's just right. like not there. Sure. So that's why when I was doing my research, it was like a very specific thing of like dating sims are not technically VNs. Okay. Yeah, because a lot of it's like... What about, what about porn games then? Like the masturbation games, those, are, those aren't usually plot-based or anything, but they're all about having sex. Oh, that's a good point. But they're categorized as VNs. Huh. So maybe it's still... A, a little bit to, of a gotcha maybe, moment. Maybe, yeah, Shit, it's man. still up for debate, man. How dare you? How dare you call <laughs> me out like that? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. I don't have an answer for you. I mean, where do you draw the line, right? Well, what I found was, yeah, it's more stat-based. So, like, you give your responses, and then the responses are, like, checked, and you have to give the right one. And then as you move through the game, the dating sim game calculates your previous responses, right, to, like, right. give, like, the general how into you am I or am I going to actually date the character. Right. That's the explanation that I found that that's, like, one of the main reasons. And then Okay. I, I, I can see that, but my argument would also be like... It still stands, yeah. I've seen I've seen dating sim VNs that are totally VNs as well that have, like, plots, and the dating sim aspect is sort of on the other side. Yeah. Like, there was one called, like, Monster High, I think, that had, like, a full story. There's, um... Actually, Game Grumps made their own dating sim VN. Did they? It's called Dream Daddy. Oh my god! It's a, a dad dating simulator. What's that other? What's that other uh, dating sim with the with the things? You oh, know well, what I'm talking there, about. There's a couple. <laughs> there's actually a couple that Game Grumps just played. Um, there's one. Uh, I forget what it's called, but they they just called it Chop Chop, which okay. is a fruit dating simulator. Oh my god! Where you play as an apple, and you're trying to get with your banana best friend. Right. Yes, that's about it. Well, there was one that you mentioned too. And yes, with hot, the birds. Hatiful boyfriend. Hatiful boyfriend. Hatiful, hatoful boyfriend. Okay. You play as a as a young woman. Oh my god! And you're trying to date birds. They're highly intelligent, speaking, living, dreaming birds that go to an advanced bird high school. And you are the only female human attending this high school. And you're meeting all these cute little birds, and you're trying to date one of them. You know what that reminds me of? What? The bee movie, <laughs> where the, the main <laughs> female human is trying to fuck the bee. Yeah. <laughs> and you like jazz. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? That's, that's Japanese for you. That's Japan for you right there. Yeah, boy. All right. So I guess, yeah, I don't know. How about use your own discretion? And if you think dating sims are VNs or not, I yeah. don't know. You brought up a lot of good points, and I can't argue against them, so maybe our stance should be that they are VNs. I'm, I'm defending them as VNs. All right. Dating sims are VNs. You've heard it here. That's the final word. <laughs> we are the authorities on this. <laughs> yeah. Non-Japanese Canadian men in a basement recording an episode of a podcast. We are the authorities. Yeah. All right. So we pretty much covered the genres. Yes. Where do you want to go from here? Right, we're going to finish off, and I think we're going to finish off fairly strong. Oh, yeah? Yeah. All right, so finally, I couldn't help but wonder why. And I'm sure you felt the same way. Yeah. One of my main questions when I first started noticing VNs and their popularity and their existence is, why the fuck are these a thing? Yeah. Why do these exist? Why were they ever invented? Why were they made? Why are they as popular as they are? Yeah, why are there so many? Why is, is this really like a valid form of entertainment? Is this something people really like? Yeah. Well, let's get into it, okay? Yeah, please. Cool. So obviously there's some massive cultural differences between Japan and the West. Sure. But what specifically is playing a factor here that has led VNs to being so popular in Japan? And I found a few reasons. Firstly, let's compare our comic books to Japan's equivalent manga. Sure. I would argue that the vast majority of comic books are based on characters with inhuman abilities. Superheroes. Right. Yes. Right? Of course, yeah. Like the most popular comic books. Yeah. And although it's getting better, there's a stereotype that you're a geek or nerd if you're into them. Sure. Right? I mean, I think, you know, the For Marvel longer, superhero yeah. phase has kind of helped with that, but like still. But the MCU and the comic book overlap, I feel like isn't that big. Yeah. Like in a Venn diagram, you have like MCU fans and comic book fans and there's like a small overlap. Sure. Yeah. But I feel like there's still a disconnect. I don't there. know anyone 
other than maybe your brother that actually owns comic books, like physical. Yeah. And I don't know many people. I know a few, but yeah, I feel like the overlap is still not really there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're kind of considered a geek slash nerd if you're into them. But manga, on the other hand, has a far wider range than its Western counterpart. Sure. So there's still loads of manga featuring those with superpowers, but there's also manga made specifically for everyone from like young children to doctors or even politicians. Just all types. Yeah, no matter what walk of life you're from in Japan, there's a manga out there for you and there's no stereotype. Huh. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, I don't know, the president or whatever he's called or she's called of Japan, I would not be surprised at all if they read manga. Sure. And like, yeah, the most professional folks, the most adulty of adulty people or whatever, there's a manga out there and they're reading them. That's super interesting. They are reading them. Yeah. Way more popular than comics are here. And we usually equate comic books with manga when we like compare the cultures. But I guess there is a pretty big difference, eh? Oh, yeah. And I, I would argue that like... Hmm, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. Yeah, do it, man. So obviously, like, they've both been running for a really long time, but there's so many different versions for manga where, like, the timeline gets refreshed or, like, surprise, this is was in a dream or a multiple universe and it doesn't actually count. And so there's so many different things. But with, like, mangas, there's some that go on for, like, 15 years of, like, continued, like, storyline and stuff. So that is quite, like, a big difference. So manga is much more prevalent in Japanese culture than comic books are in ours. And as a result, being into VNs or manga in Japan just isn't viewed the same as it is here in the right, West. Right, it's pretty regular Yeah, to find people reading manga. Yeah, it's, it's normalized. Yeah. It's absolutely normalized. So secondly, there are some key differences in Japanese animation compared to what we're used to. Sure. So the simplest example I can kind of give you is lip syncing. Okay. So, so it's far less common there than it is here. Okay. And I know that, like, for me, that bugs the shit out of me. If I'm watching a cartoon or something. And it's not and in the, sync. And the lips don't line up. Yeah. Well, yeah, dude, I work in animation. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you get it. You and get it. When we convert, when we when we convert from Japanese to English, in our English dubs, we match the mouth flaps. We match so yeah. lip syncing is on. But when you listen to the original Japanese, that shit doesn't matter. No, not at all. All over the place. Way too long, way too short, completely off sync. So, yeah. That that totally is verifiable by my job. <laughs> yeah. And just a really, really mini side note as far as the lip syncing goes. Syncing up the lips in any VN or, or any like cartoon that we're used to, that costs actually a surprising a lot of money. Yeah. So when you're trying to save money because you've spent the majority of your budget on voice actors, it's an easy thing to cut out. Doesn't matter in Japan as much. Yeah, so just go for good. the performance. Yeah. Additionally, some Japanese animation could also kind of be considered over the top or too exaggerated for Western tastes. Well, sure, because they're based entirely in different roots. Yeah, exactly. So in short, it's different compared to what we're used to. And that's going to turn people off of VNs. Makes sense. And then lastly, and this was my favorite thing that I learned about through the whole thing. And ironically, it doesn't like it is related, but it's not directly related to VNs. Anyways, there's a lot more lost in translation than you might think. Okay. So the use of onomatopoeia in Japanese, and if onomatopoeia, in case you don't know, is like sound words. Yeah, sound words. Yeah. Like plop. Yeah. Or boop. Yeah. Or boop. Or flop. Flibbert. Or pow. Yeah, pow. The use of onomatopoeia in Japanese is on a completely different level than it is here. Really? It's just so much more complex. It's such an integral part of the language that there are books written entirely in Japanese onomatopoeia. Really? That's how, like, in-depth this is and, like, descriptive these things are. So they have, like, really advanced onomatopoeia. Yeah, let me give you an example. So let's use rain as an example. Okay. There are different words for the sound of the rain based on the intensity or for the sound of the rain hitting you or for like if it hits the ground instead and for the sound of it running down the wall of a building. What? This is too much. I don't have the words written down or anything, but like there's a word specifically for the sound of rain when it just starts raining. Oh, yeah. And then there's an onomatopoeia word for like kind of a mid middle amount. Of, yeah. of rain, and then there's a Japanese automatopoeia for when it's really coming down. And if I'm remembering that one correctly, it's Zaza. Zaza? Zaza. Mm. But then... I'm going to start using that. The way the way that you can even kind of compound on that further for like a VN example or like a manga example is if you want to like convey that it's really coming down, like even more than normal, like maybe like a monsoon level amount of rain or something. Yeah. You can all caps and then extend that to be like za za. Oh, cool! And that that just kind of adds to it. Yeah. 
So that's just like a little bit of example. Like there's also like different onomatopoeia for like the sound of an object falling based off what said object is made out of. Oh no. Like it's the, so complex. Yeah, it's so complex. There's freaking onomatopoeia for everything in that's Japanese. That's incredible. I love yeah, it. I had no idea that was a thing. That's incredible. I love that so yeah. much. I, it makes me want to learn Japanese just to read one of those onomatopoeia books. Totally. Like how does that even, what? I don't know. Get the whole story and sounds. I'm nerding out about it. I freaking love that. That's, That's great. The yeah, coolest. I love that. All right. Additionally, in Japanese, there are words for internal states of feeling beyond emotions. Okay. Like for the feeling of having a headache. Like they have a specific word for the feeling of having a headache. Right. As just like one example. And there's tons of other words like that out there. So all of these provide important context and immersion in VNs. And since English just doesn't have comparable language for these things, the translated versions of VNs are often missing these aspects entirely. Sure. So yeah, there's just so much more lost in translation. And yeah. All, yeah, all those things just, yeah, they help immerse you in the story. They yeah, kind of add that extra little bit. When you actually have those effects and you have that language, then it helps a lot with the... With with the narrative and everything, the immersion. Yeah. And I've seen, like, I've I've read plenty of manga in my time. Yeah. And I've seen, like, Japanese words in the background that look like they would be onomatopoeia. They're, they're everywhere in yeah. every manga I think I've ever read. Huh. And yeah, there's no, oftentimes there's no translation for what those things are, and I just kind of ignore them. But now I'm a little sad. Yeah, I wish we had all that kind of onomatopoeia. Like, we do have onomatopoeia, but it's, like, very limited. Yeah. So yeah, if it was that in-depth and that intense, I would love that so much. That's an exciting idea to me. Yeah. It's just like, and I because, don't know. Okay, I, so this is a weird thing to bring up, but like uh, when I do sound design, for example, and I'm yeah. communicating with other people on a project, we have to describe what sounds we want for certain things. Yeah. But it's so hard to describe a sound. So we'll, we'll end up sounding like idiots being like, well, what do you want this spider creature to sound like when it's like when it's walking on wood? We'll be like, I don't know, like, and that will be our conversation. If we had specific words for clicking noises on a wood surface, yeah. that would be wonderful. It would save me so much time <laughs> and yeah. it would be much more interesting and fun. Maybe they're like the world's best sound designers all know Japanese or something. Yeah. That'd be they, so cool. They can all communicate through the advanced onomatopoeia yeah. language that they have. Oh my God. So wild. And I wonder if like any other languages have like that level of onomatopoeia. That would be interesting to look into. I mean, I know tons of other languages have like words and stuff that we don't have words for and sure. like things like that. I think Germany specifically has like a lot of words for very specific things. Yeah. Like Schottenfreuder. What's or that? Freuder or something like that. Okay. Where it's like, um, I'm pretty sure that that's the word for gratification gained from the failure of an enemy or something like that. <laughs> what a fantastic word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, we uh, English does lack a lot of things, I feel, especially when it comes to things that might incorporate language a lot, yeah. such as VNs. I mean, kind of like we talked about in our last episode with the McMahon McMahon fiasco. English just sucks sometimes. We could, yeah. we could be doing a lot. We have a pretty dumb sure. language when it comes right down to it. Yeah, and like overly complicated in the wrong ways. Yeah, super hard for people to learn too if it's not your first language. Anyways, though, that's about it. That's yeah. all I got. What I want to ask right now is like, what's your personal opinion on why they're so popular? Like, why do you think they're so popular? Why do I think they're? If so you were popular? to like take a stab at it, like try to find a reason for why they exist and why they're so popular. I think it's, mm, I can't really talk about the origins too much and how like the original VNs got popular other than sure. what we've kind of talked but I'm, about. I'm speaking more from like a modern, like where we're at now. Why do you think they're so heavily popular and why people like them? And in Japan or in the West? I'd say both. Both? Yeah. Why in Japan? Why now over in the West? I think it's just an, I think it's just a unique medium. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just a unique medium that's not out there and it's gaining a little bit of ground like I think it should be. And sure, maybe I think something there's that an, people yeah. haven't given enough attention to. Yeah. And like from what I saw on the VN subreddit, I mean, it seems like there's a because it is underground, especially in the West, right? Like sure. it is this underground thing. I think honestly, a lot of it probably has to do with the community. Like what I saw on that subreddit was 
everyone being so nice to each other. Yeah. So supportive, you know, like everyone was so happy to recommend like this kind of VN, this kind of VN, yeah. all that fun stuff. And they're all just in it for the same reasons. And yeah. So just, because it's not super mainstream, I would think my guess is, yeah, part, partly the uniqueness and, and part of the community. Yeah. What about you? Do you have any armchair kind of theories? Well, I guess just like complete speculation, like I've said before. Also the podcast. tits, just to completely cut oh, you off. Sure. Also the titties. Yeah, I mean. Because we, we were pretty about, lighthearted about it, yeah. but like there's a lot of tits. So I'm going to yeah. say. All, and you could say that about movies. a lot of things. So, you know, like. Yeah. Um, all right. Anyways. But yeah, I guess for me, just complete speculation, like I've said during this podcast is from what I know and the limited information that I have. I feel like Japan's overall culture is high stress. It's very oppressive and it's hard. It, I've heard it's very hard to live in Japan and find happiness in everyday life. And I think for me, just based on that, like kind of information that I do have that's very limited, I would say that visual novels, especially in Japan, can take you out of that life a little bit. They, sure. can, they can distract you. It's better than a movie, better than music, better than anything. You can really immerse yeah. yourself in these experiences and have positive experiences with other people. Let's say if you're highly socially anxious or if you're having trouble just being in this society that's very high stress and high strong and constantly moving. And it might be nice just to escape from that as much as you can. So I feel like visual novels do give people that experience and that immersion that they need to really get out of themselves and try to find a little bit of happiness. Yeah. And I think that visual novels can provide that to an extent. It's a really good point. Um, I do want to add on to that, actually, because you did remind me of something while you were kind of giving your reasonings on that. Sure. And it is a good point because there's a term for people that have are be, have become too immersed. Oh, really? That like it takes over their life. It's called otaku. Otaku. I've heard that term before. Yeah. It's, it's like an actual thing. For me, I think my own definition, just super easy, would be like it's the equivalent of like a neck beard. Sure. Or like, like an incel. Yeah, or like an incel a little bit. It's it's just a young person who's obsessed with particular aspects of popular culture. And in Japan, VNs, manga, anime, oh, that yeah. is popular okay. culture. So yeah, it's it's supposedly like these things are like all consuming and you're just I like, it completely my, takes over your life. Yeah, I think that might also be what they call uh, hyper enthusiastic tourists as well. Is otaku. Yeah, that might be. I, well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are some North American or Western otakus out there for yeah. sure. Especially if you're spending all that money to travel to Japan. Just to like be J a part of that yeah. popular culture aspect. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's a really like, insightful point, Matt. I feel like there is a there is a disconnect and a lack of positive human interaction in Japan. Yeah. Now, when it comes to Western culture, my, my, my opinion is kind of the same in that Instagram culture and modern culture, the way we treat each other. I think a lot of people in Western culture these days are having trouble navigating just social situations and relationships. And especially with the pandemic, we're all kind of a little isolated. But I think a lot of people in Western culture are discovering these other mediums of entertainment and they're seeing value in them beyond just uh, experiencing a story. It's really being a part of it. And I think that helps a little bit. It might not be the healthiest way to deal with some of this stuff, especially when it comes to human interaction. We should be interacting with each other better. We should be more honest with each other. We should treat each other a lot better than we do. But I feel like for some people who are just kind of sick of it and are done with trying to figure out how they can have a happier life, sometimes, maybe once in a while, they'll just turn to something that can guarantee them the experience they're looking for. Sure. Yeah, it's certainly the easier option. And I think people are discovering this medium of entertainment, like you said, like it's underground, but it has a great community and people seem to treat each other really well when you're getting into this kind of thing. So I think that positive aspect of human interaction that people are getting out of it is helping it become more of a valid medium as well. Yeah. Wow. And that's all I have to say about that. So many things we learned on today's yeah. episode. It's a, it, I think it's a really interesting subject and I think a lot of people don't really have a lot of information about what yeah. they actually are. And I think they will become more and more popular as time goes on. So I think it's good to know what's coming because... Yeah. No, I'm glad you I'm glad you picked this uh, this episode because I, I do feel like and I know we kind of talked about this a little bit off air and stuff, but I do feel like it's kind of so far the truest it's 3 a.m. thing. Yeah. You know, so hopefully you guys learned something. Yeah. You know, maybe a few of you will even decide to play one. 
Yeah, I would definitely suggest trying them out. You know, you might like it, you might hate it, but couldn't hurt. They're super cheap on Steam, or at least a lot of the ones. Yeah, I've you seen. can find some free ones. You can find a lot of really great ones. Some of them are pretty expensive. They're the price of like full AAA games, but well, in Japan. Oh, sorry, I keep <laughs> interjecting with random facts. Sure, <laughs> a lot of VNs in Japan are hundred dollars plus. Wow. $100 plus. That's insane. More than a AAA game. And people are buying these. People are buying them. Wow. Anyway. That's massive. That's my last fact. That's crazy. I promise. That's that my insane, very man. last one. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I certainly learned some stuff from this, and I, I think you probably did too. I learned nothing. You learned nothing? No, of course. Great. Yeah, awesome. I learned a ton. Super duper. <laughs> learned a ton. Yeah, and I hope that by listening to this episode, you learned a bit too. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's all we got for today. Thank you so much for listening. We got more stuff coming. Yeah, I'm super uh, excited about what's in the pipeline. Yeah, definitely. Can't wait. But All until right. then, go to bed, everybody. Yeah, go to bed. Go to bed.